Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. John chapter 4, the book of John chapter 4, Brother Davis had already mentioned this morning that we're talking about living water in a series that's entitled Jesus Responds to Faith, and I'm so glad he does. It'd be terrible to believe in something and it never come to pass or Nothing ever happens with it, but I'm thankful that I can believe on him and know that he can make a difference in my life. In the book of John chapter 4 and verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Uh, In opening, Brother Davis touched on how important it is to use our testimony to tell others about Jesus. Doesn't require you to be a Bible scholar. Doesn't require a college education. You don't even have to have a high school diploma to tell someone about Jesus. And he briefly mentioned about the Samaritan woman that was at the well and how Jesus had asked her for a drink. Of course, she didn't understand. Uh, And he went on to tell her how he could offer her living water. And the most important thing was that the woman was willing to receive this living water. She acknowledged that Jesus was a prophet And that she knew that he knew her lifestyle after he had told her all about it. And that's one thing that we can never forget. God knows our lifestyle. And after he had offered her this living water, we know that she went and testified. Testified to the people of the city because of what he had done in and for her life. And that's all he asks of us today. Whatever he's done for you, however he's changed or transformed your life, share that. Let other people know. In 1887, a company drilling for oil along the banks of the Mississippi River near LaGrange, Missouri, made an unexpected discovery. At 400 feet below the surface of the earth, they struck water. At 800 feet, the flow of water became much stronger. And finally, at 850 feet below the surface of the earth, the water pressure was so strong that the drilling team could not proceed further. In 1907, government-sponsored geological survey registered the flow at 60 gallons per minute and noticed that no perceptible change has ever been noticed in either its volume or its force. The drillers were very disappointed by this development because they were hoping to secure a fuel source for a local steel mill. 
water certainly wouldn't serve that purpose. But when the water was analyzed, the geologists found that it contained potassium, calcium, magnesium, alumina, and sodium. The liquid squirting from the ground was mineral water, which was prized in the late 19th century for its medicinal benefits. An enterprising local businessman named C.N. Thomas soon capitalized on the find, and he began bottling the water from the LaGrange Artesian well and selling it all over the United States. And you thought Aquafina and Dasani was the first ones to do that. A local historian notes that Thomas marketed the mineral water as a cure for everything from diabetes to stomach disorders. And despite the grossly exaggerated nature of these claims, sales were brisk. And with the local water department bottling 50 to 90,000 gallons a day per shipment to Chicago. And today, more than 135 years after the well's initial discovery, it continues to flow. Even occasional floods from the Mississippi River has been unable to destroy the well. Other mineral wells in the area have long since dried up but local residents can still enjoy a drink from the LaGrange Artesian well. It's a well that never runs dry and offers to bring life and healing to all who drink. That sounds like something that Jesus described in Revelations 21 and 6 where he promised to give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The good news is that the water that Jesus offered is available to everyone regardless of where you reside or, or who you are. And we find in, in John chapter 3, Jesus had a nighttime meeting with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. And if anyone should have recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, it should have been Nicodemus. He was an educated man. It, it should have been very evident and clear to him. But as their conversation concluded, we see no indication in the Word of God where Nicodemus was any closer to recognizing or acknowledging Jesus' identity. It reminds us of what John wrote in the opening chapter of his gospel in John 1 and 11. He wrote, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. And if you contrast that incident with Jesus' conversation with this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the Jews despised the Samaritans because of their mixed racial and religious heritage. This was a group of people with mixed race, different ethnicities and cultures. And the Samaritans were cultural and religious outsiders. In other words, these were outcast people. And because of the Samaritan woman's questionable past, she undoubtedly was the worst of the worst. She was at the bottom of this social ladder, making her the lowest of the low. And we would assume that someone of her stature and status would have little interest in spiritual matters. Why would someone like this want the good news of the gospel? Yet the outcome of this meeting reflected the words of John in chapter 1 and verse 12. But as many as perceived him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And that's where the mistake is made so many times. And I'm not implying that it's done intentional by any stretch of the imagination because most often it's not. But many times we as Christians write off someone because we think, well, they would never want to serve God and live this lifestyle of holiness. Look at them. Look how they live. But the mindset of Jesus was totally opposite of that. In fact, it was those types of people, the ones that Christians write off, that Jesus sought after. 
And that's the mindset that we must take, that no matter who it is, what they look like, where they come from, how much money they have or don't have, when the opportunity presents itself for me to share this gospel, I must do it, regardless of what the circumstance may seem like. And this woman received the words of Jesus and her life and her whole community were changed. As Jesus observed in Matthew 20 and 16, the last shall be first and the first, shall, and the first last. The one who seems most suited for faith failed to believe while outsiders seemed to find their way to the kingdom of God. The meeting between Jesus and this Samaritan woman opened with uh, the most mundane of requests. Jesus simply asked for a drink of water. He was traveling from Judea in the south to Galilee in the north, and it was about a three-day journey. And because of their intense hatred for the Samaritans, many devout Jews refused to travel through this region. They would bypass or go around, even if it would cause their journey to, be, to take longer. They did not want anything to do or have any relations or any uh, mixing with Samaritans. But Jesus never did adopt the prejudices of his culture. And he didn't hesitate to travel through the heart of Samaria. His meeting with the Samaritan woman happened, the Word of God tells us in John 4 and 6, about the sixth hour. Or to us, that would be noon when the sun was at its peak. This woman had been living in darkness, according to John chapter 4 and verse 18, but her life was about to be flooded with the light of God's love and truth. And I find it ironic that Jesus met with Nicodemus at night. A fitting setting considering the spiritual darkness that blank blanketed the Jewish leaders' understanding. Nicodemus didn't want to be seen meeting with Jesus. He wanted to be hid. And here we find this woman with such a terrible past, according to the Word of God, out in broad daylight meeting with Jesus. The woman was taken back by Jesus' request for a drink from the well of Jacob, and she couldn't comprehend someone who didn't see the world through the lens of religious and a cultural bias. She also knew that the Jews hated her, and it's easy to imagine why she blurted out in John 4 and 9, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. It was shocking enough that a Jew would speak to a Samaritan, but the fact that she was a woman made the request from Jesus outstandingly surprising. People are still confounded by those who refuse to reflect the biases of the wider world. Onlookers were astounded by the racial and ethnic diversity that characterized Azusa Street and other early Pentecostal revivals. In his book, Frank Bartleman wrote uh, How Pentecost Came to Los Angeles. He had this one famously noted line, and it read, The color line was washed away in the blood. Many of Bartleman's contemporaries couldn't comprehend Christians who were drawn together by thirst for living water and not divided by their integrated social prejudices. They didn't see black or white. More than a century has passed since the Azusa Street outpouring. Think of that. A century has passed since the outpouring on Azusa Street. But yet divisions and prejudice persist 
within our culture today. Consequently, it's more important than ever for the church to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ in every context and celebrate the value of every person. I, I visited a church sometime back and it was multi-culture. There was white, there was black, there was Asian, there was Spanish. But I, I sat towards the back and I watched as there was no segregated groups. They were all mixed in with everybody. And I say that respectfully. They worshiped together in one mind, one accord. I stood and watched as they worshiped around the altar in the closing service, praying for one another. And again, no clique, no group. Everybody was worshiping together. And, and that's one of the great things to me about the, when we go to family camp or any service at the campground. It's so encouraging and so neat to me to look across. And, and if you really will allow yourself to worship in truth, you don't see black or white or tan or whatever the color may be. When you look through the eyes of God, all you see is the children of God worshiping the same God that I worship, the same God that saved me, saved them, the same God that works in, their, in my life works in their life. And, and I, I'm thankful for that. And we got to press harder than we've ever pressed before because we live, contrary to popular belief, I, I, I understand we live in the sticks. But there is coming to this area more cultural ethnicity than you can even imagine. And if we don't provide a place for the gospel to be preached to them, we're failing God. We're failing God. Whatever that may require of us to do, whether it's take on new technology, whether it's to perhaps change the way we do some things, we've got an obligation to reach everyone, not just the ones we think needs it. In a world that's trapped in a perpetual cycle of fear and hate, we preach the message of a Savior who's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And through His church, Jesus Christ is still traveling into the Samarias of our world to reach those who have been overlooked or ostracized. He has adopted us into a multi-ethnic, multi-racial movement held together by the power of the Holy Ghost. Paul told believers in the city of Corinth who were very diverse in culture, for by one Spirit... Are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jew or Gentile, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit? Everybody. That means everybody. Don't matter who you are, what you are, where you've been, what you've done. We're all baptized into one body. Jesus responded to the Samaritan woman's lack of understanding with a promise that still stands. In John 4 and 10, he said, If thou knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. This living water is a metaphor, of course, for salvation through the power of the Holy Ghost, and it is available to all who will sincerely ask. We cannot earn it. Paul said it is the gift of God. And the woman didn't understand this promise of Jesus of living water because she did not know. In John 4 and 10, she said, Who is it that saith to thee, Give me to drink? 
But her spiritual thirst calls her to ask an important question. In John 4 and 11, she asked, From whence then hast thou the living water? She no doubt could see there was something different about the man that was making this promise to her. He didn't appear to possess the physical resources needed to draw water. He didn't have a bucket or a pail. or He had nothing to get this water from this well of Jacob. But something in Jesus' demeanor made her, her sense. And she knew that he had something that was different. Something that she needed. That, that same something is in you and I. That same something that that woman saw in Jesus that day is in every Holy Ghost-filled child of God. We should never feel ashamed when we walk into a hospital room or a family get-together or an event and we see the mood change. You ever walked into one of the, a, a place and when you walked in, the conversation stopped? Everybody went to whispering? That shouldn't embarrass us. That's the Holy Ghost that lets its light shine in you and it's stirring the hearts of others. And they may not ask for it because of pride or whatever, but deep down, they want what you and I have. I wouldn't embarrass him for nothing in the world, but, uh, and I say this respectfully, but the week we spent at the hospital before Jenny passed, uh, Pastor and Sister Board were able to be there, I, I, I guess, most every day. That week is still a blur to me. But weeks and months after she passed, I've had at least six people, maybe more, tell me. And I don't say this to pat him on the back, and I'm not in the doghouse with him and need to dig out. But at least six different individuals has told me that in that waiting room, when he and her would come in there, there would be chaos and the, the grief was severe and uh, just bad feelings all around. But when they walked in, there was a peace that overcame the room. Had an individual tell me when they were actually in the room with Jenny, when they walked in, they saw a light. They said the room lighted up. And all the darkness and the fear and the worry that was there before was gone. And that same thing that they walked in with that day was the Holy Ghost. And you and I have that same Holy Ghost that He's got. We can walk into any room, any family event, wherever we go, and we can change the mood of the room. Jesus, He assured this woman in John 4 and 14, whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman eager to experience a drink of this living water responded, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come here hither to draw. Now, Jesus knew before he gave her this water or offered this water to her, what her past was. He knew all about her, yet he still chose to offer her that drink of water. He wasn't intimidated by the sin. He wasn't intimidated by her past lifestyle. And he didn't brush her to the side thinking that she would never want this. 
He presented the opportunity to her. And at this point, the conversation took this uncomfortable turn, at least from the perspective of her. Because Jesus told her, go call thy husband and come hither. And it's easy to imagine that her face turned bright red. And she responded, I have no husband. And then he let her know he was aware of her entire history, including her five previous husbands and her current live-in boyfriend. Now, he wasn't trying to shame this woman for her lifestyle. Rather, he knew that if this woman truly wanted to experience an inner well of water springing up, that she would first have to repent of her past efforts to satisfy her spiritual thirst by drinking the polluted water. Jeremiah spoke of that polluted water that sinners drink out of in Jeremiah 2 and 13, and he called that that water, that pail that they drink from broken cisterns. The Samaritan woman no doubt was taken back by this shift in the conversation and by the knowledge of Jesus and her stained past. She had been conversing with him for just a brief time, but she had already recognized that he was no ordinary man. And that's why in John 4 19 she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. And once again, we can compare the Samaritan woman's response to Jesus' word with the absence of spiritual awareness that Nicodemus demonstrated in the previous chapter of John 3. Her perception more than compensated for her lack of spiritual pedigree. Nicodemus acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher come from God, but he never seemed to progress from that level, a teacher that come from God. But this Samaritan woman, woman recognized that Jesus wasn't just another Jewish rabbi roaming through Palestine. His spiritual insights put him in the company of prophets. And this is evidence that it does not take a rocket scientist to know who Jesus is. I've already mentioned it, but then I respectfully say it again, but one of the biggest flaws we have in the Pentecostal world is the way we label people. We're so quick to determine sometimes if, if, if they would even want this way of lifestyle when we have no idea what's in their heart. That's why Jesus said he, he looks on the heart or the inside of a person. Jesus didn't tell this woman that her hair was too short. He didn't tell her that she needed to go put on a dress or put sleeves down to her wrist. He simply offered her salvation to a lifestyle that she had been living. And that's what we must do. Present the gospel. Not our opinion. The gospel. Share our testimony. Talk about the power of the Holy Ghost and how it has changed our life. The Holy Ghost needs no help cleaning up a person's inward parts or their outer parts. No telling how many souls, and I'm not meddling, but there's no telling how many souls throughout the years have been damaged and run off from church because someone thought they was in the right place to tell them how they should dress, how they should live, how they should talk. And it's not our place. It is the Spirit of God that will do that, and we have a pastor to do that. Our job is to love them, stand by them, support them, 
and help them navigate through this. That, that's our responsibility. And I, I, I pray often, God, help me and shame on me if I prop myself up as a judge or a jury to try and weed out who I determine thinks needs the gospel. My prayer is, is give me the courage and the words to just cast the seed everywhere I go and give me the discernment to know when the Holy Ghost is at work in someone's life and help them to understand what the gospel is. Just as Jesus knew the details of this Samaritan's woman's past, He also knows our past. The writer of Hebrews 4 and 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. He knows everything. He sees everything. And the purpose of this knowledge is not to bring shame to us but to lead us to repentance. God's not in the business of shaming us when we do something wrong. What He desires and what He wants for us is for us to be convicted and repent of that. He's not satisfied with just offering us an occasional sip from the fountain of living water, but He, he invites us to experience something transformative and perpetual and every day. He, he wants to expose this to us every day of our lives. But in order to receive all that God has for us, we must renounce our past sins and sinful lifestyles. We, we must repent. We cannot drink from a cup of self-deception and the well of living water at the same time. It, it, it won't work that way. We must deal with our sins through repentance. You can't experience what God, all that God has for you with sin in your heart. I find it ironic that this woman, she was at a well in the middle of the day hiding. And obviously for apparent reasons, but I'm sure she didn't speak to many people in the city, especially not men. But in John 4 and 28, this woman left her water pot, which in it all in itself is another message because that was a most valuable commodity to anyone in those days was the water pot. And she left it and went her way into the city. And I found it interesting, uh, this next phrase, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all the things that I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Now here is a woman of, for a lack of better word, of ill repute, who normally men wouldn't listen to. Probably men wouldn't want to be seen with, especially if they were married. But here she is, Witnessing, telling these men, she recognized that Jesus was more than a prophet. He was the one of whom Moses and the law and the, and the prophets did right. He was the Messiah, the fulfillment of prophecy. So when she went back in the city to tell the men, everyone, that she knew about the one she had met at the well, rather than being offended by Jesus rebuking her past, the woman rejoiced over the living water. She, she was... She was happy about the salvation. And she couldn't wait to tell friends and neighbors what she had discovered. So important to her that she left her water pot and, and run back into the city to be, to be a witness. 
And according to Scripture, the residents of Sychar were just as thirsty for this living water as the woman at the well because when they heard her testimony, John 4 and 30 says, they went out into the city and came unto him. Now I want you to think for a minute if, if Jesus wouldn't have been in the picture and this was you and you were a Jew, would you have traveled through Samaria? Or would we have done like the rest of the Jews and took the long way around and missed the opportunity for a whole community to be impacted. It was the middle of the day and, and many of them probably had been working or taking care of household responsibilities and chores, but yet they found that this woman's testimony was so compelling that they laid everything aside and rushed to meet Jesus. And when the people of the town met Jesus and heard His promise of living water, their lives were transformed. And John wrote that they told the woman in chapter 4 and verse 42, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard Him ourselves and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Nothing is as powerful as experiencing Jesus Christ firsthand and tasting of that living water. Nothing is as powerful as that. And don't ever let the devil convince you that your testimony isn't important. It doesn't matter if you've been living for God since childhood or if you've been strung out on drugs most of your life and only lived for Him for three months. People are affected, influenced, and encouraged by testimonies. We have an obligation to tell our testimony. That's biblical. God expects that from us. It's part of our reasonable service. And the entire community was just changed because of her witness. John 4 and 39 said, Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. Anyone who has ever tasted the living water Jesus offers has a responsibility to tell others about the experience. There are people all over this world that are thirsty for the living water. For the Holy Ghost. And I, I would go one step further to say there are people all over this community that are thirsty. They're waiting. They're just waiting for us to tell them where can they get this drink from. And if we tell them about Jesus, they'll come and they'll experience it for themselves. There's an old joke that said, how do you know if someone has run a marathon? And the answer was, don't worry, they'll tell you. It alludes to the fact that it alludes to the fact that most of us love to talk about our interest and accomplishments. Have you ever noticed an automobile window decal bearing the number 13.1 or 26.2? That's a half marathon and a full marathon distance. You can be sure the person who owns that vehicle is passionate about running. And it's not just runners. The rear window of automobiles seems to be a good place to brag about your family's honor student. I even see signs in the yard now, A-plus student. Yeah. National parks we visit or any other accomplishment that can be commemorated with a decal. You see on the backs of vehicles how many children they have. It'll be a, a, a picture of a father, a mother, and three or four children, and now people put two or three dogs and a cat Testifying. They're, they're testifying about what they have in their lives. 
And when something good or noteworthy happens in our lives, we usually feel an overwhelming urge to share with others. You may know someone who is newly engaged to be married. And the couple probably made it a point to share that on social media. You don't have to ask. They're looking for an opportunity to inject the news into every conversation. Look what he give me. They want the world to know that they're in love. You get a job, a promotion. What do you do? You want to you tell everybody about it. You want to share about it. When you consider this, it is interesting. It's somewhat astonishing how silent some Christians are about their faith. It's almost as if we don't really consider the good news of the gospel to be good news at all. Some Christians treat their faith like a, an embarrassing family secret. Only those who are closest to us have an inkling of an idea that we profess the name of Jesus. I've often wondered about Judgment Day, and I, I wonder if Jesus is going to put us next to co-workers or family members or neighbors and, and say they never got to hear about me, and you were right by them every day. You talked to them all the time. You had meals with them. You, you talked on the sidewalk. You stood beside them in the factory line. You celebrated holidays with them, yet you never even mentioned me. I don't know, but I wonder, would Jesus even consider me to be a child of his if I never talk about him? The Apostle Paul was a devout Pharisee who was healed who was headed for Damascus for the purpose of wiping out the Christians in that city. And he had an encounter with Jesus. From that point forward, he, he had made it his mission to share the good news, the transforming power of the gospel everywhere he went. Paul told King Agrippa that when Jesus first spoke to him outside Damascus, the Lord pledged to make him a minister and a witness. And Paul spent the rest of his life Fulfilling that calling. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. And so I ask, what about us? Are we guarding our faith like it's some kind of state secret? Are we following the example of Paul and the Samaritan woman and urging everyone we know to come see a man? We, we have the good news. We, we really do have the good news. And we need to share it with everyone we know. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we are so grateful for the Holy Ghost in our lives. And I'm asking you to give me the power, to give me boldness, to give me the fortitude, God, to tell everyone I come in contact with about this truth, about this gospel. I don't want to find myself ashamed sitting quietly in a corner refusing to talk about the goodness and all that you have done for me in my life. I pray that you would help us as a congregation reach for others in this community. Help us to reach for our neighbors and family members and help us to share this truth and this gospel. And I ask you to help us do that in the name of Jesus Christ.
Praise the Lord. And the whole house said amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.